the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Thank you for tuning in. This is Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever is on your heart. All you have to do is call us, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send questions in using our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call knob banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, tonight I'm going to be teaching Second uh, Kings chapter 11. Um, Jehoiada, a, a hero, just a, a wonderful example of godliness, uh, is, it takes center stage on this, uh, in this chapter. So that's tonight at 7 o'clock. You can watch it at calvarysa.com, or you can join us if you'd like to. If you're in the area, uh, we, uh, we always have room on Wednesday nights. So that's tonight. And, of course, Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow on the date day edition of the program. Let's get to questions while we're waiting any phone calls and or other questions sitting in. This one comes from Kay from our email inbox. She says, hi there. I like that. Hi, Kay. Uh, in Psalm thirty-four sixteen, it's written, God's face is against those who do evil. And then she puts a little commentary in parentheses. We know that evildoers are the unbelievers. In Psalm sixty-six eighteen, it is written, If I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Here's her comment again. This is the unrepentant. In John fourteen six, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And then her comment is not just in salvation, but in any way. And then she says this. In John nine thirty one, it's written that we know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. His will, this is her comment, his will is that all repent and believe the gospel. I know a lot of people who are not born again who say they pray to God. Uh, if my understanding is correct, we cannot come to God in any way unless we're born again. He hears those that are his children. Those he also foreknows will be his eventually. The unbelievers he hears not. Is this a correct understanding? If it is, at what age do you think it is appropriate to tell our children this important information? If I am misunderstanding, please explain how so I can be clear. I don't think you're misunderstanding in principle at all, Kay. Uh, we know that God... I uh, cannot hear the prayers of unbelievers. When I was an unbeliever, I prayed all the time. Uh, I, I I knew there was a God out there. I wasn't a born-again Christian, but I was praying in anger. God, why did you do this to me? Why did I lose this bet? 
Why don't you? I'd ask him why he, what he has against me. Um, so, so God gratefully can't hear those prayers. Now, there is one prayer from an unbeliever, Kay, that God can hear, and that's the prayer that says, God, save me, a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. That's a prayer that God can hear. It's a prayer that he wants to hear. In fact, he wants to hear it so badly that he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross uh, so that prayer could be heard. And the idea with being born again is that we have access to God. And our prayers can and will be heard. So that's really important that we understand that because everybody that you talk to is an unbeliever can say, oh, I pray, I talk to God, I'm okay with God. And the reality is they don't know him and they have no avenue of approach. God lives, we're told in the New Testament, in unapproachable light. And the only way that we can approach that unapproachable light is having been given the righteousness of Christ uh, that comes at the cross of Jesus Christ. So all of that is true. Um, when you ask, let me see, you said one other thing in here that I want to do that. You said, he hears those that are his children, those he also foreknows will be his eventually. It's not necessarily true. He didn't hear my prayers before. He he knew that I was going to get saved, Kay. But he didn't hear my prayers until that veil was open. It was like when Jesus died and there was a great earthquake and the veil of the temple was torn in two. Symbolically, what God was saying is now there's access for everybody, not just the high priest. And not just once a year, but access for everybody to come and speak to God. So um, my prayers before I got saved, Kay, he didn't hear those. Uh, and as I said a moment ago, I'm grateful that he didn't because they were ignorant, um, um, pathetic prayers. Um, at the same time, uh, yes, God knew I was going to be his. And on the day that I surrendered my heart to him, that door was opened wide for me and I had access. So uh, unbelievers, he does not hear their prayers because they don't have access. Now, you asked a question that I think is important. You said, if it is, uh, if her understanding is correct, why did you think it's important to tell our children this important information? Um, Kay, it's, it's important to tell them their whole life. Just tell them their whole life. There is a God in heaven, but in order to get to God, it has to be through the personal sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We have to listen for uh, our, our uh, uh, f- f- have a relationship with God before he can hear our prayers. And the only way we can do that um, is is to, to know Jesus Christ. And that's what's really important to tell your children, because if you don't, they're going to get all kinds of mixed messages in the world. So uh, I, I don't think it's one of those things where we have to tell our kids, um, you know, it's just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's not like repent, kids. It's It's sharing the goodness of God. It's reading the Bible to them. Uh, it's it's letting them see that your relationship with Jesus Christ uh, is beneficial to them. Um, okay, that that uh, in, in your case, I'll use you personally because you wrote the question. But your kids need to know that the fact that you know Jesus Christ makes their life richer and fuller. They need to see uh, in your home the fruit of the Spirit. You and a husband of a husband's in the picture. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. They need to see and learn from watching you regarding the sufficiency of your God. You know, if we tell them about Jesus, but we live lives that that sort of would suggest that we don't know God, uh, that's going to confuse them. So I think from the beginning, we start letting our children know that everything that good that happens comes because of Jesus Christ and everything that is bad that happens comes from from the enemy of our souls or uh, self-inflicted wounds, our rebellion against God. And then you can tell them what, what God told Cain from the very beginning. If you do what is right, will it not go well with you? And that's what they need to know. So I think you get the idea clearly Um but 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 I don't know why there would be any problem with explaining that to your children uh, from the very beginning. That's that's how important I think that is, Kay. Good question. Thank you very very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Let's take this next question. 
James wants to know, what is the difference between spiritual attacks and ordinary trials in life? Um, James, the, the devil will use even the ordinary trials in life to attack you spiritually. But I think basically the difference is we all go through trials in this life. Uh, difficult things happen uh, whether we're saved or unsaved. Um, um, the enemy is going to spend his time attacking believers. Uh, he doesn't have to spend time attacking unbelievers. Uh, and I think if you're asking how do we know the difference, I think if you're a born-again believer and you're going through some trials that seem to have no explanation at all, then then you can count it as a spiritual attack. And what you do in that case, James, is you simply get close to Jesus. Now, when I say counted as a spiritual attack, that doesn't mean that you bind the devil and that kind of nonsense. It just means that we run into the presence of Jesus. You just run into his presence. And I think whether your trial is a spiritual attack or just an ordinary trial, whatever an ordinary trial could be defined as, I think the answer for both of them is the same. You run to Jesus. The spiritual attack you need to understand from a spiritual perspective. Um, you need to understand that God is stronger. God is infinitely stronger than the enemy. That God is for you. He's not against you. And you don't have to be afraid. Um, again, it's not pleasant, but you need not be afraid. Ordinary trials in life are just things that we have to deal with every single day that we encounter. And as I say often on this show, that the way to deal with them is to be with Jesus and sort of let him make the path for you. We need to try to follow in his footsteps. So James, if I'm not getting the gist of your question, uh, please forgive me, but try again and give me a, a little bit more specific information. Here's a question from Jennifer. Uh, Jennifer, when I got this question, I was really intrigued. Um, Jennifer says, I read a blog by Bart Ehrman that says that Paul and John did not write Hebrews or Revelation and that those books do not belong in the Bible. How would you respond? My first response, Jennifer, is don't read anything by Bart, Bart Ehrman. He is an apostate, um, 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 a rank unbeliever. Um, when I think of Bart Ehrman, because he comes from a quote-unquote Christian background, I think of, of uh, that, like Paul said, Alexander the metalsmith did me much harm. Uh, Bar- there isn't anything about Bart, Bart Ehrman's writings that I can recommend at all. None at all. It is absolute nonsense, and it's only advanced by progressive liberal theologians that John did not write the book of Revelation uh, the, the the authorship of Hebrews has a wider disputation. Nobody knows if it for sure who wrote it. I feel very strongly that Paul wrote it, um, but but those books are accepted in the canon of Scripture, and any suggestion to the contrary is nonsense. What Bart Ehrman is doing is simply deciding what he wants to believe and getting rid of everything else, and even that which he decides he's going to keep out of Scripture, uh, he reinvents and he sort of twists. So this is a rank apostate, Jennifer. And while I'm typically, uh, I don't say don't read somebody, there is nothing that he has to say that will add to your walk with Jesus Christ. Absolutely nothing whatsoever. So uh, I would stay away from him. You know, it's interesting, Jennifer, because I was listening to a another pastor um, who who appears on uh, this radio station, um, and and he he was quoting Bart Ehrman in his message, and my first thought was, why would anybody quote Bart Ehrman in their message? This guy is responsible for stumbling more people's walks uh, with with Jesus Christ than than almost anybody I know. So he's just not somebody who has any credibility whatsoever. Not any at all. So I hope that makes sense to you. Here is a question from Coolidge. Uh, He says, what name should we be baptized in? I'm told that it has to be Jesus' name alone. Coolidge, what you're encountering is a uh, a oneness Pentecostal or or often referred to as a Jesus-only 
cult, and that's what they are. Uh, and, and basically their position is that Jesus is the Father, Jesus is the Son, and Jesus is the Holy Spirit, which is heretical. Um, and um, the, the reality is that uh, they do not understand an orthodox reading of the Scripture. Now, uh, I want to be fair because there are a lot of oneness Pentecostals who don't really know what their churches believe. You know, they say Jesus, they say the, God the Father, they talk about the Holy Spirit. And like in most churches, there are people who are illiterate when it comes to uh, really and truly understanding uh, what what the church teaches or what they believe. That, by the way, is true in the Mormon church as well. It's true with some Jehovah's Witnesses. But here's the problem. The problem is that nobody calls them on it. And then the people who are sitting in those cults uh, don't do any reading on their own. They just take lock, stock, and barrel what they're taught, and and uh, they they think they're they're Christians. Now, uh, God knows their heart. I don't, but uh, to be in in this um, heretical um, kind of a church uh, is not a healthy thing for you at all, Coolidge. So, um, when people ask me. What name should we be baptized in? I take it right from Jesus' own words. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And whenever I do that with the oneness Pentecostal, say, yeah, but, but what about this? No, no, no. This is just what Jesus himself said. Are you calling Jesus a liar? And they typically don't have any kind of a difficulty with that. Uh, you know, they just don't want to want to engage in it. So, uh, no, you can be baptized uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and stay away from those heretical cults. Thank you, Coolidge. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Or eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Betty wants to know: Does the devil know my thoughts? Um, no, he's a good guesser. Let me say that, Betty. He's a good guesser uh, because he's a he's a student of human psychology. Probably the greatest student of human psychology ever um, with his supernatural power. But no, he can't read minds. He's not like God who, who uh, knows everything, uh, knows your words before they come out of your mouth. He knows what's in your heart. Uh, the devil does not know those things. But as I said, he can guess. He can watch our lives, and believe me, we know he's inspecting us. He or his demons were being observed all the time, and they're going to take every opportunity they can, Betty, to to, to mess with you. That's that's their job. And so um, what you need to do is not worry so much about what he knows, but instead worry about who you are with. Um, if you're worried about the devil, all you have to do is run in the presence of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you a quick story, Betty. And I do this because um, Hebrews calls Jesus our elder brother. Uh, my big brother, his name was John. He's three years older than me. Uh, John, at the age of 11, was the same size he is right now. He was six foot tall, a uh, little overweight, but a huge, huge 11-year-old. And... Um, um, if people wanted to mess with me, and I was a little mouthy because of it, I would always throw my big brother card. Say, look, if you want to get to me, you got to go through my big brother. And if you try to mess with me, he's going to come and he's going to mess with you. And that worked most of the time. Well, the same thing is true of Jesus. Jesus is our elder brother. And when the, the enemy is messing with me, then all I want to do is run to Jesus so that the devil has to get through Jesus or go around Jesus to get to me. And I know Jesus isn't going to let that happen. So I don't have to worry about whether the devil knows your thoughts or not. He cannot read your mind. Um, he can guess what you're going to do next or what you're going to say next. And if he can can sort of um, 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 cause you to to react badly, then he's going to heap condemnation on you. But but he does not know your thoughts, and we don't really need to worry about that, Betty. So hope that comforts you a little bit. Here's a question from Henrietta. Why did God choose Jacob over Esau? Henrietta, let me ask you a question. 
if you were God and you knew everything and you knew that Jacob was going to be your servant, even though he started out horribly, remember the, the choice of God, uh, the, the choice that God made between Esau and Jacob was made before either one of the twins had done anything good or bad. They were still in the moon. So you knew that Jacob was going to eventually serve you. And you also knew that Esau was going to sell you out for a bowl of stew. Who would you choose? So that's that's the reason God chose Jacob over Esau. Uh, Jacob was not a man of any greater character than Esau was. But Jacob was interested in, from the beginning, the things of God. Esau wasn't interested at all. He was what we would call very carnal, concerned about, about uh, you know, food for the stomach and stomach for the food. Um, so, so God simply chose Jacob. And the reason he chose Jacob was because of what he knew about their futures. You know, people get really frustrated by, well, why would God choose one or why would God have a favorite? Um, God knows everything about us. Uh, I, I often think, Henrietta, why would God choose me on all the terrible things I did before I was saved? And when I got saved and started really digging into the Bible, I found out that the reason God chose me was because he knew that I was going to choose him. And in the, the interim between the time um, I was born and the, the time that I gave my heart to Jesus and was born again, um, God set his love upon me. This is what Romans 8.29 says. God set his love upon me and nothing that I said or did could make him change his mind. You see, in Jacob's case, God knew there was going to be a day when Jesus and Jacob were going to wrestle. And he knew that Jacob was going to surrender and hold on to Jesus. I will not let go until you bless me. That's Genesis chapter 32. And because he knew that, Henrietta, he was patient with Jacob. He wasn't patient with Esau, although God was not impatient, but he knew that Esau was going to reject his birthright. He knew that Esau was going to be an enemy of God's people. And he knew that Esau wouldn't change his mind. So that's the reason God chose Jacob over Esau. It's interesting. It's Exodus chapter 3, verse 19. Uh, He tells Moses, God does, Jesus does, uh, to go tell Pharaoh to set my people free. And then he says, I'm going to compel um, Pharaoh to let him go. But then he says this in verse 19, I know, this is what God foreknew, I know that unless a mighty hand compels him, he will not let my people go. And so God then used Moses to communicate that mighty hand that compelled him. Every choice God makes is based on his foreknowledge of what's going to happen. Thank you, Henrietta, for the question. We've got uh, just three minutes, I think, here. Ruben called in. Ruben, is Ruben on the line? No, no Ruben's not on the line. He just asked for the audience, please continue to pray uh, for uh, for encouragement. So, Ruben, we're praying for you. Thank you, Ruben. I appreciate it. Here is the last question for this half of the program. Uh, Angela, Angela, bless your heart. In fact, I love your question so much, I'm going to wait till the top of the next half hour. Uh, so I'm going to skip it for now. Uh, Bruce, where does the devil and demons operate from? Um, the devil is called the prince of the air. So he's just there. He's a spirit. He can move from one place to another uh, instantly. And that's really uh, where he is. So he operates. His kingdom is in this world and he operates wherever he wants to operate. Demons, lesser demons. Now remember, the devil's kingdom is not an organized kingdom. So it's not like all of the demons are taking orders from him, although he is the most powerful of them all. But their ministry is here. Their ministry is in the air. They're, they're not in, in, in hell somewhere having committee meetings or strategy meetings. Um, their ministry is here. Uh, they're they're always looking for opportunities to to rob, to kill, to steal, to destroy. Um, they're looking for opportunities to devour. Uh, Peter says, 
and and uh, their ministry is here in this world that we live in. So again, there's no organized sort of devil, demon, central place. Um, they're just here. And and the demons seemingly take orders from the devil, um, again, without being in unity necessarily. Uh, but their function is here. You know, when we started this radio program, somebody said, well, you know, the, the devil is the prince of the air. And it's true. Anything that goes out on the air, you're exposing yourself, and he's going to do anything that he can to mess it up. That's one of the reasons we have to be so careful with the Internet. It's one of the reasons why we have to be discerning about what we're listening to on radio programs or podcasts. Um, we need to be serious uh, about our commitment to uh, following Jesus Christ. Greater is he who is in us, Bruce, than he who is in this world. Well, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. We'd love your calls. Remember, you're more interesting than I am. 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for hanging in 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Here's the question that I skipped because it's such a good one. It's from Angela. She says, I have concluded that I am actually addicted to social media. I want to stop, but I haven't been able to. What should I do? Angela, first, let me congratulate you on your honesty. It really, really takes uh, a genuine person to say, here's what I'm doing. I know it's wrong. It's not good for me, uh, and I need to stop. So God bless you for that. Uh, Social media is constructed that we would be addicted to it. Um, But here's the thing you have to remember. You have a power that lives in you. The power that raised Christ from the dead. That power lives in you. And that power is stronger, infinitely stronger than any other force, than any addiction. And that's the power that God wants to use to deliver you. Now, it's in you. It's like having a car got the most powerful engine in the world, but if you don't put any gasoline in it, then then it's not going to have any value for you. You can't go anywhere. Well, the same thing is true. We can quench the Holy Spirit, and we do when we willfully sin. In this case, social media is not a sin. However, um, it's clear that God is speaking to your heart about this, and he wants you. He wants more of you. So here's what you do. You remember that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Discipline. You know the phone is bad for you. So you get rid of it if you have to. Whatever you have to do. Jesus said, if your eye offends you, gouge it out. If your hand, you steal something, cut cut the hand off. Now, he's not literally advocating, advocating physical mutation. Um, but but here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, we have to react that forcefully to that which is destroying us. Angela, I have no doubt that social media is is being used by the enemy to destroy a lot of people, and you're certainly not alone, and yet we don't think it's anything that's that's really bad. So here's what you do. You instead choose to hang out with Jesus instead of carrying your phone around and being a slave to it. And I realize we need phones. But instead of instead of forcing yourself to answer every time you hear a, a, a ring or a ding or a buzz, um, um, just, just say, Jesus, how about you and I just spend some time together? Carry a Bible with you. And in your case, probably be better not to use an electronic Bible because that's probably on your phone. But, but just carry a Bible with you. And instead of going to your phone, get in the habit of going to your Bible. Angela, I tell people at our church all the time, are you spending more time in the Bible or on your phones? Now, I know the answer to it when I'm asking the question. And the reason I'm asking the question is because I want them to consider 
all the time that they're spending on that which is not constructive instead of that which can build us up and strengthen us in our walk with Jesus. And I want them to reevaluate their priorities. And that's all you've got to do. And, and, and the best approach for you is simply say, Jesus, I realize that I've made an idol out of my phone. I've made an idol out of it. I go to it for comfort. I go to it for gossip. I go to it for uh, information. I go to it for, uh, instead of coming to you first, Lord. And eventually you'll get to that place where you can control your phone usage. But but that's only going to be done by the power of the Spirit. So you're, you've taken the first really important step. You've confessed that for you this is sin. Paul says, I will not be mastered by anything. And you're being mastered. You're, in, you're being controlled by your phone. So just discipline yourself. And the way you do that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. The way that power manifests itself is by you being with Jesus instead of by being with your phone. You've got to physically change habits. And Joe, I've had this question about all kinds of addictions. Uh, I had somebody asked me about smoking one time, and, and I said, well, tell me what you think about it. They said, well, I, I say to myself, I'm not going to smoke, I'm not going to smoke, I'm not going to smoke. And, and because that's where their mind is, that's the first thing they do when they get a little bit stressed, they pick up a cigarette. Well, you pick up your phone. And, and I'm sure you're aware that's really, you talk about a pandemic, that's epidemic in the world that we live in now. So you've just got to decide, I love you, Jesus, so much that I'm going to put my phone where it belongs, and that's in a place way down on the pecking order. And your life will be happier. It'll be richer. Jesus will speak to your heart. He'll let you know how pleased he is that you've chosen to spend time with him rather than on Twitter or on some other social media feed. Um, there's just nothing of value, Angela, that social media has for you. Nothing. You know, I am a relatively public person. Now, I, I don't want I say it that way because I don't want anybody to think I think I'm a big shot or I think I'm famous. I'm not. I, I'm I'm but I am relatively a public person. And there are people all the time on social media outlets saying things about me. Sometimes they happen to be good things. But much of the time because of what I teach and the way I teach People say really, really ugly things. And I've got people in the church say, Pastor Ron, did you see what they're saying about you? I say, no, and I don't want to know. I don't want to hear it. There's nothing that somebody like that has that can add value to my life. And the other thing is, if somebody is saying bad things about me on social media, I don't want to know. Because if they come into my life, if God allows them into my life, I don't want to be angry at them. I want to love them. And I want to think the best about them. That's what love does, or at least one of the things that love does. And and I'm human, so if I read negative stuff, well, then I'm going to get angry, and I'm going to be preoccupied by that kind of stuff. You know, Paul and I were talking about this yesterday. Um... You know, we're, we we want people to say nice things about us. We want people to think well of us. We're Christians. Of course we do. But Jesus said, don't take it personal. He actually said that to Samuel. People rejected his counsel, even though they knew it was good and godly counsel. And Samuel got mad, and God said, lighten up, Samuel. It, it's not you they're rejecting, it's me. So I understand the dynamic, but the reality is it still bothers us. So you've got to make a decision, Angela. How important is Jesus to you? Is he more important than being addicted to your phone? Why do we need to know what other people think? Why do we need to know what they're doing? More to the point, why does anybody need to know what we're doing? And you see, social media is all about me, 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 and of course, our lives are supposed to be all about him. When Christ, who is our life, appears. And Angela, would you got to decide if Jesus really is your life, if he's the priority. Believe me, um, that's the only addiction that you want, and that's not an addiction that is anything but good for you. 
So I hope that helps, Angela. God bless you for being that honest. Okay, let me see. We've got uh, Ruben. Ruben from Seguin. You did call back. Ruben, thanks for calling. God bless you, Pastor Ron. How you doing, uh, sir? Good, thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm having a not-so-good day. Um, I woke up this morning in so much pain. And I, I, it took me forever to get out of bed and and just not to be able to move. I mean, just no one understands, you know, the simple things that you take for granted, like going to the bathroom, I can't even do. And I don't mean to, you know, be vulgar in any way, but mm-hmm. and Pastor Ron, I just, I mean, I believe that there's a, there's a reason you know, um, I, I got away from punishment from God all those years ago. You you kept on telling me it's not punishment, it's not punishment. Mm-hmm. I got that out of my head. You know, and now I'm just like, okay, Lord, I know that if you wanted me healed, you would be, you would heal me. But I'm not, and that's okay with me. I'm going to love you anyways, and I will not ever. This isn't me giving up. This isn't me talking, you know, like negative. Or at least I don't come. I hope I don't come off negative. It's just, I just like God. <laughs> this pain yeah. and the things that I have to go through every day. It's almost getting too much, and I don't want to say that, but. I don't know what to think anymore, and, and I don't know if it's just because of the pain that I'm in today that's just had me going crazy, but I just need some prayer of encouragement, and, yeah. and you know, my telephone's been quiet all day long, no one's called, you know, and, and I need that encouragement, man, you know what, you know what I mean? And I just, just ask him for prayer of encouragement. Yeah, let me let me I, let me give you some encouragement, but also some understanding a little bit, Reuben. And, and and I'd also like to pray for you if you'll give me that opportunity. A couple of things. You said you know there's a reason. You know there's not a reason. You know we 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 humans we always want to find a reason. That's what Job, the whole book of Job, is about. Why? And there's no reason. God never gives a reason. Now we know what was going on in the, in the background, but spiritually speaking, but there's no reason. Uh, We live in a fallen world. Reuben, uh, we've talked about this before. You've been uh, given a ministry of affliction for whatever the reason it has served you well. Uh, It's not a a fun thing. There's nothing um, positive, pleasant about it. But what God has done in you, the way he's changed you over these years just just from your interaction on this radio program, um, that ministry affliction has been used by God to make you more like Jesus. The Apostle Paul said that um, um, uh, his grace was sufficient. Paul suffered uh, physically a great deal, just like you suffer physically a great deal. Um, and, and his was um, a, a messenger from Satan, and um, there doesn't have to be a reason. It's just what you have, and it's your burden to bear. And Jesus said, let me carry your burden for you. He's got the big shoulders. He's the one that can carry these burdens that you cannot carry. And I think sometimes when things get really bad, on these bad days, Reuben, we're trying to find out human logical reasons for these things. And really what we're doing is we're removing that burden from Jesus and saying, okay, I'll take it for a while. And we're suffering as a result. So there's no reasons why, but there are answers. And and when I say that, there are answers. These are the days when you have to run to your Bible, not to your phone for encouragement. Run to your Bible for encouragement. Reuben, on Friday this week, I'm beginning um, um, a new study in the book of Philippians. 
Uh, Philippians, I promise you, is a wonderful book to go through whenever you're going through these really, really difficult times. Obviously, the book of Job is is another one. You, you don't want to get involved in all of the back and forth between Job and his friends, but but just go Job's conversations with God. Uh, the Apostle Paul said that he counted it a privilege to share in the fellowship of God's sufferings, but every bit of it was exceptionally difficult. And yet God used all of it to make Paul more like Jesus, and he's done the exact same thing in your life. So these are the times, when I say this, I'm saying this fully aware of how people are going to perceive it. But these are the times when you feel the least like fighting when you have to fight the hardest. You say, well, I can't even go to the bathroom. How how can I fight? You know what? You can sit in your bed. You can talk to God. And and when you're talking to him, um, Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, Open that up and take each one of those things and, and say, okay, these are the things I'm going to meditate on today, Lord. Um, you can go to some of the Psalms where David is in, in hiding in caves, running from Saul, days where it looked like he was going to be uh, killed. Um, and yet, yet David's response, Psalm 84, is a wonderful one to go to. Um, so it, it's just it's just we've got to be tough enough to fight. And Reuben, you have demonstrated uh, over the years that you are tough enough to fight. And when the enemy doesn't want you to fight. He wants to keep you, you know, at this place where you're only consumed with how you feel. And I realize how difficult it is when it comes to physical pain. But as you know, there is a purpose for your life, and God is is with you and preparing you to fulfill that purpose. You can pray for others. This is a this is an opportunity. Let me tell you something, Reuben. I would welcome your prayers for me and for our church. Every time that you feel overwhelmed by pain and by suffering, I would I would welcome your prayers. Just say, okay, Lord, I'm going to use this opportunity to pray for Pastor Ron. And, and, and the power of the Holy Spirit will make things better and at least bearable. So this isn't punishment. You haven't done anything wrong. Those are lies from the enemy. There doesn't have to be a reason. Physically, your body has been an absolute mess. But God's grace has met you every step of the way. And he has been proud of you, Reuben, even in those super, super difficult days. Days like today, and if you'll remember, we've talked to you on days that were much, much worse than the one that you've experienced today. So, Lord, as hard as today is, I trust that tomorrow's going to be better. Draw me closer to you and find your encouragement from the Word of God, not from your phone, not from other people. Find your encouragement from being in the presence of the Lord. In His presence is the fullness of joy, even when you're hurting the joy of the Lord is your strength even when you're hurting. And just see if that won't help. Father, I lift Reuben to you. And there are so many. We've got a bunch of people, Lord, with this ministry of affliction in our church. People that our hearts just break for. Comfort them as only you can. May they not look to anybody else or to any other source for comfort, just you and your word, Lord. And for Reuben, I pray, God, even now for immediate comfort, for immediate relief from the pain. And help our dear friend and brother, Lord, in his time of need. Encourage him and strengthen him that he can bring you glory. Amen. Reuben, we will be praying for you constantly. Thank you for letting us know. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions, or 877-630-5757. Here's an anonymous question. Uh, I struggle with mental health issues, primarily anxiety. I've been told that reading the Bible more will help me, but it hasn't. Um, anonymous, one of the things that I, it always frustrates me, and you know, uh, we have pat Christian answers, um, you know, for people read more, serve more, study more, um, pray more. 
um, that's not that's not the counsel that you need. Um, you struggle with mental health issues. You need to be close to Jesus. You struggle with anxiety. That's your primary problem. Um, Jesus said, "Don't worry." Over and over and over. So it's not reading the Bible that's going to help you. It's doing what it says. It's believing it. Now remember that Bible Anonymous is filled with glorious promises. But you've got to believe those promises. You can't just read it. I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved us. Jesus saying, don't worry. Over and over and over. Don't, not, don't, don't be afraid. Over and over and over. Um, you've got to make a decision. Do you believe it? I think of the Israelites who perished in the wilderness. Um, they had wonderful promises from God. But the book of Hebrews says that they didn't combine those promises with faith. So what you've got to do is literally be with Jesus. And when you feel anxious about something, then you open your Bible and, and say, Okay, Lord, I need extra faith today. Help me to believe what you said. And, and then you will begin focusing on the promises that he made rather than on the struggles that you're dealing with. You know, anonymous, and I'm, because I don't know you, this isn't to be taken personal, but but especially with mental health and the emphasis uh, that has been on mental health for the last, I don't know, two years, it seems, um, we're, we're giving people a pass. People with mental health issues, people with depression, people with anxiety, and we're giving them a pass because it seems kind to us. Well, don't expect much from them. That's the worst possible thing. Being with Jesus is the most important thing that you can do. Being with Jesus is by far the most important thing that you can do, and he will give you the peace that passes human capacity to understand. So believing what the Word says, actually doing what it says, and then running to Jesus when you're trying to fight the fight. You know, so much counseling, and, and we get this all the time. Well, I've had biblical counseling or pastoral counseling, but they just said I need to read more, pray more, serve more. That, that, that's, that's horrible, horrible advice. You need to be with Jesus. You need to believe his promises, and you need to appropriate those promises in your life every day. Very, very important. Don't let mental health issues, in your case anxiety, don't let that win. You've got the ability to fight. The Holy Spirit living in you is stronger than any outside force that you're ever going to encounter. So honestly evaluate. Do you really believe those promises are for you? That's what faith is, by the way. Faith is believing that God is. Certainly, we all believe that. Believing that God uh, will do what he told you to do. And believing that his promises are for you, not just for other people. That's what active trust really is. And you've got to make that decision. Do you really and truly believe what the Bible promises? It'll change everything, I promise you that. Okay, we're inside three minutes now for our program. Um, In John chapter 3, Jesus said we must be born both by water and spirit. What does being born by water mean? Does it mean baptism? My friend says the water is the word of God. Um, You know, Jesus explains, Matthew, what that is. We don't have to to guess. Uh, And it's not um, baptism, and it's not the word of God. He explains right after that in the very next verse, um, for, for flesh gives birth to flesh, and the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And so that's what he's saying. That's why we have to be born again. Uh, born by water, that's just natural childbirth. We, we've, we've got to be born. That's one requirement. And then we have to be born again. And that's his whole purpose in, in, in his conversation with Nicodemus. So the water simply means a natural birth. We've got to be humans. Jesus died for humans. 
and then we must be born again. So it requires two births in order to be saved. So we can we can try to symbolize all this you want, you know, the the uh, water of the word of God that's that's used symbolically, but it's just not here. And Jesus Himself answers that question. So it simply means that we have to be born the natural way, and then we have to be born again. And that's the only way we're going to see the kingdom of God. So that's what it means. Born first the natural way, and second the supernatural way, in the way of the Spirit. So that's all that means, Matthew. None of that other stuff uh, has any value at all. Okay, this will be the last one today. Tiffany says, why do some Christians convert to Judaism? I don't know, Tiffany. They're not really Christians. Some of them are not saved. Um, they're not studying their Bibles. Um, I, I, I don't know. I've got people that come to church all the time, and they'll say, uh, I've had people tell me I'm a Messianic Gentile. Others said I converted to be a Messianic Jew. Well, you're not a Jew. You're not a Jew by birth. You're not a Jew by, by ethnicity. Um, you don't have to be a Jew. Jews are supposed, when they get converted, to be Christians. It's not the other way around. Christians don't convert and go backwards. Hey, thank you for tuning in today. Uh, tonight, Second Kings chapter 11. Tomorrow, Paul will be live in studio on the program. May the Lord bless you and keep you all. See you tomorrow on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.